Hi, welcome to When Songs Mean Business. I'm your host, Steph Belcher, and I'm so excited to introduce you to your new co-host, Olivia DeRoche. Hi, everybody. Olivia is joining us from Brooklyn, New York, and she's been helping me over the summer to organize all of my thoughts, get all of the podcast assets and social media branding back up to the kind of standard that I actually believe in and can trust. (laughs) And I'm so happy to have Olivia on board. So I just want to give her a chance to introduce herself to all of you beautiful listeners. Hi, beautiful listeners. I'm Olivia DeRoche. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a listener of the podcast. I am a follower of When Songs Mean Business Instagram, but I am an independent musician. So this work has been very exciting for me, just getting to dive into all of this business, all of the business side, business strategy, and just kind of all the cool things that make music music, which is why I love this podcast. Your time and talent and opinions have been so valuable to me (laughs) as I try to grow and change and like morph this podcast into into more that can help more people. And I'm so grateful for you. So thank you. And I'm so excited for everybody to hear all the cool things that we have going on. I know. Me too. Should we tell them what we've been up to? Yes. Give them a little taste? Yes. Yes. Where should we start? Well, we have been running a beautiful, beautiful course that I think you should talk about. Yes. Understanding Money and Music. It's my flagship course. It's the one that I have been developing the entire time that I've been working in the tax and bookkeeping and finance world. In the back of my head, I've been thinking, how can I adapt this so that we can help musicians? And I finally pulled it all together with your help. And we launched it. We're on week six now, I think. Yeah, we're on week six. And it's been going really, really well. And I'm super excited to say that I'm going to relaunch it in January. We're doing it again. Doing it again. And it's going to be even better. And we're going to have a lot of accountability and networking. And we're going to have all these opportunities for people to grow and change and workshop themselves. And it's going to be amazing. Totally. I think for me, the biggest takeaways thus far as also a participant in the class have just been how to, as an independent musician, build financial structure that, you know, creates longevity for me and my career. How do I, as a maybe smaller scale musician at this point, how do I pay my bills with music? And I think the cool thing about this course is that it's for musicians like myself who are trying to pay the bills and do it smartly and effectively. And it's also for the financial professionals who want to pivot and cater to musicians, to business management and to helping musicians grow their career. Yeah. And that I, that's part of why it's so exciting to have you on the team now, because I have the accountant finance mind and I can talk specifically in that language to those people. And then I can say a lot to, that musicians understand as well. And you speak the musician language <laughs> and the totally. business language a little, and we have, it gives us the opportunity to really cover the whole spectrum of everybody who's passionate about music and wants to help in some way, we have a a way for you and we have advice for you. So another really exciting thing that's coming up in the new year is that I'm going to be launching a level up your business mentorship program that really closely follows the workbook I released last year. Some of my longtime listeners might remember during the pandemic, 
I did a 10 day workshop called level up your business. And we use a business planning workbook to basically create the business of our dreams. And now we're all in a place where venues are back open. Things are happening. We can actually execute on all these dreams that we've been sitting on for the last few years. And I want to walk with you through that process and coach you on that. So stay tuned for more information coming on that soon. It'll be right at the top of the new year. It's going to be an intense sprint type program where we're going to launch your businesses. By the end of it, you're going to be flying. Love. Very exciting. And today we're here because you got to interview a very special guest. Yes. Andy Reid. He is a recording engineer, record producer, musician, songwriter, all around good guy, father, <laughs> friend, friend to everyone. Friend to all. Yeah. Andy's the best. He's just such a warm, kind soul. And he... Yeah helps musicians feel really comfortable with their art. And I love that yeah. about him. And he really breaks down the art of recording mm -hmm. and kind of what that looks like as someone who's been in the business as long as he has, how that process has shifted and evolved, but also yeah. just a lot of tangible, real good advice, yeah. actionable items for us all to, to implement. Yeah. I loved our conversation about all the different ways that you can mic drums. Right. I, I know that I live with a drummer as a bunch of microphones, like, <laughs> but it was still so fun to actually talk about that stuff. Totally. So let's dive in, get to know Andy Reid a little bit. And as always, you can find us on Instagram. These episodes are going to be put up on YouTube. So check out our YouTube channel, When Songs Mean Business. And without further ado, let's dive into When Songs Mean Business. <laughs> Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Thanks. Yeah, this is exciting. I've been listening to your work for a very long time, but I didn't really realize it, you know, as kind of one of the behind the scenes folks in the music industry as a musician, producer, recording engineer, mixing engineer, and mastering engineer, you seem to stay very busy. And I would love to hear how you got started in the industry and how you came upon recording and producing as your main skill set. Sure. Yeah. I, I was very, very late to the party, as you could say. I started when I was about 18 in the music. Now, going back a few years, I kind of got the music bug when I was in high school and I'm 44, so I was a freshman in 91. So it's when alternative music came about. And, you know, I was definitely like a grunge kid with the flannels and the Doc Martens and all that stuff. The, the skater haircuts. Nice. You know, I, was all, I was all in. I was all in. But, uh, you know, I also rented a few CDs from the library uh, by the Beatles and you know it wasn't cool in the 90s early 90s to listen to the Beatles because that was still like your mom and dad's music sure yeah. so uh, but for some reason it kind of spoke to me so I ended up becoming this huge music nerd in the 90s so like 60s and 70s music and of course like the grunge stuff um, in the when I was about 18 uh, my cousin Danny played in a, drums in an original band and uh, they were writing their own songs and rehearsing. And I used to go to the rehearsals and, and he would sneak me into the bars to the show as the quote unquote sound guy. Nice. Um, 
And uh, so I was just really in love with this whole idea of just making music. And, and so I, I bought a guitar when I was 18. And uh, it was kind of self-taught, just played it every day for two, three hours. And, and when I was about 21, I formed my own band uh, called The Haskells with my brother, Jason, and my friend Todd McMahon from, from Midland. And we were writing all our own music and doing that kind of thing. And, and we actually got a small, there was a small independent label in Bay City, Michigan, believe it or not, that wanted to sign us and gave us money to record. So we, we had some friends in another band from Detroit called the Atomic Numbers, and they recommended we go record with Brendan Benson in Detroit. Now, Brendan at this point had a record come out on Virgin in 96, and, 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 and he was like kind of like a Beatles guy, a pop rock guy, and they call it power pop, I guess is the, the proper term. But um, he was just living in Detroit, and he had this old uh, mansion on East Grand Boulevard, about a mile down from the Motown Museum, that he converted his house into a recording studio. Brendan later was became famous for the raconteurs with Jack White. Um, yeah, I have a huge other, crush on Brendan Benson. <laughs> so do I. So we're so we're in the, yeah no totally. So he's been like probably my biggest influence since day one. Cool. So 20, 22 years old, recording with a hero already, playing with all this vintage recording equipment. We're recording the tape. It's just yeah. like, it's like love at first sight. He's like this mad scientist already showing me how I just thought we were going to come in and play and sing. And then he's like, okay, we're going to add keyboards here. We're going to add percussion here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You're going to sing harmonies in the hallway because it's got a huge echo already. And I'm like, just my mind is blown, right? So the the hooks are in. I'm 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 all in on the recording thing, and so I started to assemble my own recording equipment. Back then, it was like four track cassettes, eight at machines, that kind of thing, and and eventually in the digital technology, Pro Tools and stuff. So later on down the road, so mainly I got into it to just kind of record myself so I could record demos for, for whoever I was playing with and whatnot. So my brother and I made a record as the Reed brothers in 2004 and we actually released it. It's kind of like the first thing I recorded that, that was released. And it, it just kind of happened that like I had two friends that were in two different bands say, Hey, this, this sounds pretty good. Would you consider recording my band? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, sure, that'd be for like for money, like you're going to pay me kind of thing. Like, you know, so th- that was the point where it's just kind of like became a reality that like, oh, wow, this this could be a thing. And granted, I still don't I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. You know, like you're just trying not to screw up at this point. And then the more and more projects that came down the road you realize it's an art form and you realize that there's like 20 ways to do something rather than just one specific way. And there's all these rules. So I just became a student and started reading everything I could. And and this is before YouTube and all that. So it's like, I had to rely on like tape op, which is a great magazine for anybody who's interested in recording. It's a free magazine tape op. It's, it's fantastic. And so, yeah, so I just kind of became a student and I'm still a student. I mean, honestly, like it's, it's one of those things, there's so much involved and there's so many 
different decisions you can make in the recording studio that you're never going to know, but that the endless possibilities, I think, is what really draws me to it. And I found that even, you know, I got into it to play live and be on stage and play in front of people, blah, blah, blah. And I had no idea that the recording part was going to be the thing that I really loved. And I've been kind of, yeah, two days ago was the 16th anniversary of Reed Recording Company, which would have been like, you know, when I first started getting into this uh, as a job and it's still look forward to it every day. That is awesome. I'm, I'm taking notes because I want to come back to a couple of things that you said in there. Okay. First of all, I love that you got CDs out of the library. <laughs> I know yeah. that that sort of uh, dates us a little bit, but I did that too. Yeah. That's actually yeah. how I discovered the band Fish. And everybody thinks that's so silly because like I went and got a Fish Studio CD out of the library mm -hmm. and like who falls in love with Fish Studio? A 14 year old girl who had to get it out of the library, you know? Yeah. No, I'm with you. I was the same way. And then I saw them live after having all the records too. I was the same way. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And every time somebody mentions getting a CD out of the library, I'm right back in that room flipping through and I would get like 15 or 20 CDs, you know, oh, I've heard of this person. I saw this name on some radio chart, you know, in a magazine or something. And it was such an amazing way to discover music that, uh, you know, people never understand now that you can just pull up Spotify I know. and, you know, but Thank God for the public library. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. That, you know, totally took out more CDs ever than I did books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You said that you released the CD in 2004 that you recorded yourself. And you said that that was the first thing that you released. And I'm curious, back in 2004, how did you release that? Like, what distribution channels did you have access to? Okay, so 2004, I seem to remember myspace was the thing then yeah it was just uh, kind of yeah, getting yeah. going okay yeah okay so 2000, 2004 2005 so it was my brother and myself and um you know definitely using social media which would have been like the first social media was myspace i believe and uh connecting with people there we obviously made cds that was the the format at the time and we were just kind of playing shows we didn't it wasn't like a big release. It was definitely an, an independent release. And I had never done anything like that myself. So it was just kind of all word of mouth. We would call um, some of the independent uh, CD stores all over Michigan and just we would drive around and drop some off. And then we would give them a free copy for in-store. Mm. You know, that's kind of how we just kind of did it. And I think we just probably learned that through a few friends that like, okay, give them a free copy so they can spin it. And then that way, if someone hears it, they know where it's at. And then we would just kind of play around Michigan as, a, in a, as an acoustic duo. And obviously cool. most of the, most of the stuff we ever sold was at shows. Um, gotcha. We didn't sell a lot. We didn't sell a lot into stores. Um, college radio was a thing. We, uh, the impact 89 FM in East Lansing was great. They brought us on for an interview and all that kind of stuff. So we hit the college towns pretty hard and hit the college radio stations. You know, one of the things that I think has kind of gotten lost in the history of recording and distribution is just how difficult it used to be. Yeah. Even, you know, 20, not even 20 years ago, 18 years ago, 
it wasn't right. an easy thing to no. record at home to make it sound good enough and then to get them printed and get yeah, yeah it was expensive there it was plastic jewel cases you know yep. and i think right around that time is when the cardboard ones started to be a little bit more prevalent but you know we sort of take for granted now how simple it's all become to just you can mm -hmm. just record something on your phone and and send it to sound drop and it's up on tiktok three hours later and it used yeah. to be like really tough and i think that what you know what you went through back then mm -hmm. i would imagine helps you now uh, to simplify and make everything more efficient and make sure that it all sounds really good because you probably learned a lot during that process that is mm -hmm. still helping you today so I'm super interested in that in that historical stuff <laughs> no absolutely and I I totally like when I work with younger artists and they're getting ready to like put it out I'm like well back in my day you know <laughs> like you sound like the old man but yeah. uh it was fun though it's like because I think that I think you had to be creative back then. And honestly, like, I think that's how it's going to start to have to be now because everybody has access to the same tools. So what can you do creatively with your release that separates you from the other people? And, um, you know, like, cause you said, it's like, you can put, I could put out, I could go downstairs, record 10 songs and put it out on Spotify on, uh, for next Tuesday. Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay. So, but that doesn't mean anything, you know, it's like, how am I gonna, you know, get to sell this to the people and, and get my name, you know, it's like, why should you listen to this? You know, that's, I tell people, it's like, you have to, you have to communicate that somehow, whether it's just, you know, videos, uh, TikTok, whatever, um, make, and, and I feel like that gap is closed between like the artist and the listener you know, it, you never would be able to send a message to a band and they respond, <laughs> you know, but now, now it's like, it happens, you yeah. know, all the time. Yeah. So, and I love that. I, I think it's amazing. Yeah. I love that too. I want to yeah. come back to the creativity with the release, but first I, I just jumping back to what you were talking about a second ago, um, you said that there's 20 different ways to record something. And I think that's really interesting as somebody who has really never record. I've never recorded my own music. I've never written a full song. You know, I like, I joke around with my kids and I play around on the piano, but I'm not a songwriter in that way. I'm really very much a tax preparer and accountant, you know? <laughs> and so I'm intrigued by what those 20 different ways are and, you know, without necessarily like listing them. Can you okay. kind of summarize for me what you mean by that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So think of it this way. Um, think about, let's just pick an instrument like, um, let's, let's take a drum kit. Yeah, you know, I'm married let's, to let's a drummer. A, oh, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> okay. I chose, I chose the drummer <laughs> wife life. My it, best friend's a drummer, so it's like we're just... You know, that's how it is. Yeah. Um, so, let's, so let's take a drum kit, for instance. And, um, you know, you can, uh, there, there are so many different drum tones over the years. You know, there's the John Bonham where it sounds like he's in a huge room. And then there's like 
the 70s dry Mick Fleetwood, like it sounds like the drums are right in your face kind of thing. And and then there's trashy and then there's distorted. And, and it, it's all about the emotion of the drummer and the player, of course. But in, in a situation, I've recorded drums with one microphone just right in front of the drum kit in a, in a good room. And then there's been times when I've had 10 to 15 microphones on a drum kit to articulate all the cymbal hits. It all depends on the type of band and the style of music and the song, for sure. Um, so when you first start out, you're just trying to learn the basic technique. Okay, they said I should put the bass drum mic here. They said I should put the snare drum mic here. And you're trying to just figure out how to get it to sound passable almost, right? And then you kind of get to that point and then you realize that there's there's 20 to 30 different ways that you can make it passable so there's the art what decision am i going to make mm. that's going to serve the song with the drums what tonality what drum kit you know is it are they going to be playing hard are they going to be playing delicately whatever and it's just like that's all part of the process and that's the decision making that you need to do when you're making records you know it's like you just it used to be like I just thought the drummer comes in, you put up mics and they just play and you just hit record. And it's, it's, it's that you can do that hundred percent, but the great records that we all love and know, there's a lot more thought that goes into the recording of a specific instrument. Um, the human voice, there's, there's a hundred different ways, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's just, you, the whole idea of what an engineer is, is taking the information that's given to you when you hear the person play and sing, you listen to the song, you communicate with the band what they're trying to envision for the record, and then you have to engineer the sound. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. That's actually a really clear explanation. Like, I, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that that's cool. Um, so do you have any specific examples or stories that you could tell where a band came in with an idea or with a song that was a little fluid and you heard it and you were like, I have an idea for this. And then you used your specific skills and taste and personality to sort of like alter the song. Has that, does that, is that something that happens or do you try to keep it to what the band really specifically wants? Or is it kind of like, depends on the band? Yeah, it's, it's for sure depends on the band, of course. And, and I work with a lot of solo artists, you know, obviously we have Amy Petty as a mutual friend and yeah. uh, I did her last record, The Darkness of Birds. And that was more of an exploration of sound, like we didn't really know what we were going for. So we were just trying out sounds and stuff like that until we found out what kind of worked. But when a band comes in, it's kind of a whole nother scenario because they've already been playing, performing this song live. Oh, yeah. And, and so they've kind of have like a set foundation of what they want the song to be, which is awesome. So my goal is to take that song and, and make it shine. However, however, um, however we can do that. So, there's been a few times, I can't think of, uh, oh, there was a band called uh, Gouster, uh, which is a unique band name, but we had talked, we met for drinks, 
before they had come in to record and just talked about what they were wanted to go for. And, and we talked about like the Queens of the Stone Age, specifically the record that Dave Grohl played drums on, Songs for the Deaf. And, and I'm like, okay, I mean, you realize that like 98% of the drum sound is the drummer first and foremost. And, and they had a really good drummer though. So that was cool. So they came in and we tried their drum kit and it just, it, I don't know, he, he was, he had used the drum kit live. So it, it didn't, uh, um, uh, it had a different tonality. So I'm like, okay, we're going to need to go more vintage drums. So set up my drum kit, made them nice and thuddy. The guy played and it sounded closer to like songs for the deaf, the Dave Grohl thing. So I think it's just, yeah, you just kind of got to know and work together with the band, 100%. It's, it's not a, I, I'm not the type of producer that will kind of come in and say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do. Um, I will communicate with them, my ideas with their ideas, and then we kind of meet in the middle and figure out the best path for the song. And so I think that's super important in this line of work is communication for sure. There is that mentality of an old school producer that you, I'm sure that you've heard stories or read stories about just like the Phil Spectres of the world that are just demanding that you do it this certain way. And, and, and I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. That's just a way to do it. I'm not that guy. I, I would rather work with the band and find that middle ground and, get them excited about trying something weird and different and if they love it then it's like okay i did my job you know so i can't think of anything more specific than that it's just a matter of like yeah it's just it's just a matter of uh um knowing what i know and, and the, the music and that's why it's important when i when i talk to an artist i ask them what they like to listen to because it's like we're all just a musician or recording artist is pretty much just uh, their influences mixed in a big bowl of stew. Yeah. You know, so there's a little bit of Bob Dylan, there's a little bit of Wilco, there's a little bit of Foo Fighters, there's a little bit of whatever. And, and if I know that in the back of my head, I can kind of say, okay, well, what if we went with the big fuzzy Foo Fighter guitar sound on this part? And then they're in, I'm, I'm taking what they love and injecting it into their own music. That's cool. It, and then it, then it makes it, then they, at the end of it, it's them. It's still them, even though I'm bringing this input in and, and teaching them how to get to that space. Um, we're, we're creating their identity together. And, and that's why I'm not going to, I'm a big Beatles fan, huge Beatles fan. So it's like, I can make every band come in here and sound like the Beatles, but it's like, <laughs> the, I mean, it would be fun for me, but that's not fair to them, right. you know? Right. So it's, right. it's important to know where they're coming from. So are you, are you like an encyclopedia of every great band that's ever existed? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, well, I mean, first and foremost, I'm just a music fan. I mean, if it, if it came down to like, you had to choose one, either listen to the music for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life, I'm going to choose listen to music for the rest of my life. There's no way I couldn't do that. So, um, when you become a student and then you realize you're into production, you start to listen to records differently and you start to really appreciate the musicianship and the production and, and all that other stuff that comes with it. So I, I love that about it. And, and, but yeah, I try to be pretty open-minded to everything. Um, you know, my daughter and I just saw Billie Eilish in concert 
yeah. a month ago. And I love Billie Eilish and Phineas's music. I love it. And it's like, I would never thought I would love those records, but I do. They're, they're amazing. And I'm learning from 20 year olds, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I learn from my kids all the time. They listen to different music that I've never heard of. And it, that in and of itself blows my mind because like they're 10 and six, how do they know stuff that I don't know? But they do, they find it and their, you know, their algorithms are different than mine and they use different apps than I do. And, you know, it's, I think it's really interesting. Uh, I actually listened most recently to, uh, I've been trying to listen to one new album a day that I've never heard straight through start to finish. But the very first one that I listened to was Billie Eilish's new one, or most recent one. It's not really new anymore. But I was really surprised by how jazzy it was. I was not expecting her to go full jazz on this. I mean, mm -hmm. like... No, they're amazingly talented. And it, you just seeing them together, and even like in the Oscar speech they just did the other night, it's like, they get it. You know, they're, 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 they just get it. They're humble they they're creative like you know it for them to you have this you have this huge record with bad guy on it and stuff and then they have the guts to just go out and make the record they wanted to make mm -hmm. and it's like i love that mm -hmm. i love that and they don't they didn't care if it was as big of as the first one or whatnot they just make they just continue to make music that they want to make and that's the dream honestly yeah. I love that about Lady Gaga too. She just does yep. whatever the heck she wants. Yep. And yep. you know, I I've, I've been studying her her whole entire career. I became I would say I became like a mega fan of hers in like 2008, 2000 early 2009. And um one thing that we all learned as little monsters in that time was that she tried to play the game. She tried to play the music business game and she was in New York mm -hmm. city and she was working for all these labels as a staff writer and she couldn't land a deal and she wasn't writing from her soul. She was right. just writing what she thought people wanted to be hits. And mm -hmm. then once she started writing from her soul, that's when it all really started to crack open. And I saw that kind of happening in like real time but I wasn't working in music at the time. And I became so enamored of that authenticity and that writing style. And now I see it so clearly in the young people. Like I can see when they're being authentic or I can see when they're just making music that they think is appealing to the masses and their mm -hmm. heart and soul isn't in it. And right. it's, you know, like when you study the greats, that, separation becomes really obvious but there's kind of like a mentality of um vulnerability that that level of musician has to work through in order to get to that point and so I'm always really impressed when people like Billie Eilish I mean she's she was still a kid and she just let herself be out there like that and I think that's so amazing and impressive yeah, and I think also they'll they'll have a career because of that. It's like some of these people that you talk about, they might have like a hit or, or two and when they just try to write the hits and stuff like that. And if that's all they want to do, they, more, whatever they want to do, more power to them. I mean, yeah. Everybody has a choice. Um, 
But what you're going to see is like, you know, we look at someone like David Bowie who, who changed sounds on every record. Yeah. It's like he had a legendary career because he just did what he wanted to do. And I think that you're going to see that Madonna did it. I mean, Madonna's like, Madonna's like that, you know, it's like, um, there is no one sound that will define a great artist. Mm-hmm. And um, I think those, I think in another 10, 15 years, you know, Billy and Phineas are going to have eight more amazing records. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Me too. So let's talk about you a little bit. I'm sitting here looking at your website and I'm, I'm looking at your credits page and I see all the different jobs that you do between musician, producer, and then the three different types of engineering, recording, mixing, and mastering. And so I would love to talk directly to the students for a minute and help them understand the difference between each of those tasks and then how to do them, I guess, for lack of a, lack of a better question. (laughs) Um, Like if you're doing it all, if you are the musician and you're the producer and then you're engineering the whole thing too, how do you keep it all straight in your head without losing the thread? You know, like, I'm not sure if, if I'm asking a good question here. How not, do you, but... keeping it all straight is, 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 is the trickiest part. I mean, I, you learn to, you learn to multitask and you learn to, they call it wearing a bunch of different hats, you know, but realistically, they're really all intertwined. And I will explain that too. So they all kind of work together in a weird way. So let me just kind of go through and explain the differences. So a musician, when I list a musician, that means I played something on the record, working with a lot of solo artists, I I will probably sometimes play everything, you know, like drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, whatever. Um, and the, and, but I'm also playing their song. And when I do play on records, I'm not just saying, this is what I'm going to play. I am communicating with the artist saying, okay, should I go for more of a cleaner sound here? I'm, I'm working with them to try to translate their idea. And then I'm the medium that just ends up performing it. Okay. So a musician is someone who plays on the record. Um, a per, uh, I'll skip, I'll skip to the, I'll skip to the recording engineer. The recording engineer is the person that basically uh, records the music. So I'm the one that hits record. I put the microphones on the instruments. I'm the one that that sets all the levels and I hit record. That's the recording engineer. A mixing engineer, when you mix, when all the recording is done, and sometimes this stuff is all like tasked out between 10 different people, okay? Yeah. A mixing engineer takes all the recorded music and then they do the final mix. They do all the balancing, the EQ, and then still communicating with the artist what you want you know listening to the song and and working with the artist to get the mix to to a place where everything sounds where it needs to be then the mastering engineer is the one who takes the final mixes for the whole record so you have 12 individual final mixes and then they will put put it in order and then they basically make sure all the mixes live together so when you play them in a row on a record, the volumes aren't jumping all over the place. Yeah. The bass isn't louder on one song. The, the treble's not too loud on another. It's just basically kind of make taking the 12 songs and, and making them flow as like one long record. And that can be tricky sometimes because you'll have like acoustic song. And then the next song will be a song with the full band and an orchestra. 
And you have to make that transition sound like they belong together. Okay. So that's, so that's what a mastering engineer does. And the producer, which is this word has become a little tainted over the years. I, I feel because um, a lot of people will say, you know, I'm a producer. I do this. I'm a producer. I do that. And, and, and they're not wrong, but in my eyes, a producer is, is more of the old school saying that they work with the artist on the arrangement. They work with the artist to help um, hash out the lyrics and, and maybe suggest melodies. And, and they really are the overseer of the artist's vision. Okay. They have to take what the artist says and what they're trying to say with their song. And the producer's job is to put that on a record, however that may be. And so when I say they're all intertwined, when I play a bass part, I'm thinking in my head as the producer, what the end vision is going to be. I'm thinking as a mixing engineer, where I want the EQ on the bass guitar. And then I'm thinking as a musician, as the bass player. So they really all work together in the grand scheme of things. There's this, there's this saying called fix it in the mix. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Yeah, I have. When, when people will just say, oh, that's close enough. I'll just fix it in the mix. I can't stand that. <laughs> I want to know what the part is going to sound like. And I want to know when, when the vocalist is singing to the final track, I want it to sound like the way the record's going to sound when they release it. So I am trying to dial in all the sounds specifically for that song. So when they're performing, they're feeling the song exactly like it's going to be and the listener is going to listen to it. So I am a little old school in that way. I like to kind of really make decisions and commit to things like we are going to put this distorted guitar on this song. But because every decision you make after that will be affected by that choice and that's the thing that's kind of cool it's like people will wait to the end of the song to decide what they want on it and i'm like well how can you sing it if you don't know what's going to be on it it's like is it going to be an aggressive song is it going to be a soft song it's like you can't sing to it unless you know how, what it's going to sound like so so i've kind of gone that route and um I, I feel like the artists that I've worked with really like that too, because they're able to perform their vocal track and then listen to the emotion of the music part and they know what it's going to be. And then they can, they can marry their vocal track to the, to the recorded music track. And it helps a lot. That's really interesting. Do you usually have a set process for how you get the instruments recorded and what gets laid down first, or do you like it? to be live, you know, recorded live or like, um, what do you usually put down first? Well, if it's a band, if it, so two, two different scenarios with the types of people that I work with, if it's a band, I'll definitely, uh, try to get the drums and bass done first and I'll have them play live as a band to okay. get, to get that track together. Um, and then we'll add the guitars and the vocals at the end. So wait, not to interrupt you, but so you'll have the full band play live, but you're only recording the bass and the drums? Yeah. Well, I'll record everybody playing and singing together, but oh, we'll, okay. we'll probably redo the guitars and, 
even but the basically but for a band it's to get the drum track down first you know because okay. everything builds off of the the drum track and um and then you kind of go from there and, and stack your way up and with a singer songwriter what we'll do is they will play the song we'll find the tempo uh, on their main instrument whether it's like piano or acoustic and i'll have them play and sing the song to like a metronome or a click track or whatever Mm-hmm. then we'll get the form down and then we'll talk about um where we think the drums should come in and where we think um all our moments are going to be and then I'll kind of just like program a uh dummy drum track I'll call it oh cool yeah. a- and then that gives us a little bit of a feel of where the drums are going to be and what they're going to you know what they're going to be doing and then we'll do the same thing add bass add keyboards replay the drums with a real drummer um and and add all our bells and whistles but definitely i call it from the floor up so usually it's drums bass guitars keyboards whatever then then vocals at the end typically so then the vocalists can hear where the song ends up Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's pretty much the gist of it so it's a little bit of a different process between like i said the solo artist and the full bands but essentially you're still doing it the same way the biggest difference is the solo artist has never heard it with the band right. you know yeah so we have to we have to work together to decide what we want the band to do you know and and that's a lot of fun and sometimes i just have to be the band which which <laughs> i absolutely i absolutely love but uh most of the time you know, I, I'll hire my my friend Donnie Brown, who I played with in a bunch of different bands to play drums. He's kind of like my main session drummer. Lauren Krantz, who's another mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Um, keyboards. He's one of those guys that can play anything. And and what's most important too is they're just amazing humans. To have. Amy Petty's my go-to background vocal singer. Nice. And it's like these are just amazing people to have in a room. And when you work with a solo artist too, bringing in external musicians to come in other than us, it always just kind of elevates the session too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's important to do once in a while when you're working with just one-on-one with somebody, you, you gotta kind of bring in a little bit, couple wild cards here and there to kind of stir the pot. Yeah, I, I like that. That's like the A&R part of, the music industry that I really like, you know, listening to somebody's unfinished track and thinking, oh, you know, this person would fit really well in, in this track somehow, if you have room for them, mm-hmm. but it's, I don't usually like get to do that. No, so it's, it's an important part in matching personalities. You know, we talked a little bit about before, before we recorded about just how, you know, certain personalities, uh, work together with certain people and and you know thankfully these musicians that I bring in are just wonderful humans and get along with everybody and they bring an excitement to the session too they're grateful to be there they they love playing and they love what they're doing so much and it just like I said it, everything just kind of goes up a little bit when, when when you bring in someone like that too which is great yeah yeah I it, that conversation made me think of Brendan Benson and how lucky you were to have him be kind of like your first mentor. That right. Was, that was like just a really lucky thing. 
that you you think, you think? I, I mean especially <laughs> yeah like for how it would all play out uh you were mm-hmm. in the definitely in the right place at the right time with regards to that yeah. who else have you played with that really elevates tracks up that you just love working with well i i, I feel like <clears throat> excuse me there's another guitar there's a couple guitarists um that i'll bring into scott vandell and and michael robertson are two guys that i'm really good friends with and they're both uh have played in bands that I've recorded and that's the great thing too it's like you record a band any one of those people if I say hey if I if I needed a horn part for this would you mind coming in and playing They're, everybody's like absolutely so the more people you record the higher the higher your uh guest musician list becomes and and that's awesome so really there it's endless possibilities mm-hmm. when it comes to that but but I mean, I, I honestly think that, um, um, you know, Amy's great for the background vocal thing. We're both super harmony nerds. Amy is, yeah. and, so am I, and so am I. And, yeah. and, and um, so, but she comes from like this total different school, which I love. And she knows I come from this like Beach Boy thing. And we, we will just like shoot ideas off of each other. And she's like, okay, that's great. I'm going to sing that. Da, 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 da. Oh, I have an idea. You know, it's like, it's like. I'm just trying to keep up on the computer just to get all this information <laughs> down. And when sessions are going like that, it's just, it's just so much fun. So that's cool. just very lucky, uh, very fortunate, like you said, with Brendan. Um, and, but see, I already knew, knew Brendan was legit. Like I knew that we went there because we were a fan of his first solo record. Oh, cool. And okay. uh, um, it wasn't just like he had the studio. It's like, no, we want Brendan. Ah. And that is kind of the the thing that stuck with me too. It's like I, I said early on, I'm like, I just don't want to be a recording studio where someone comes in and says, okay, set up mics and hit record. I want to be involved in the process. I want to, I want to work with the bands. I want to um, help them if I can make the songs better. Um, of course that, you know, all subjective but yeah it's but anyway it's uh um brendan did that for us and i said i want to be that guy I, I so when i i never put that i like produce a record like i'm the only producer it's always co-producer with the artist uh, because i feel i feel like we're producing it together and um that's the way brendan worked with us and that just stuck with me and and so everybody that i work with at this point on it's like we talk about the songs and we just we start from scratch in that regard. It's ne- it's never just like setting on microphones and hitting record. Um, so that that's that's nice. Yeah, that's cool. What do you wish that you had known about songwriting and recording before you got started? Oh man, I, you know I I prepped for this one and <laughs> I I danced around it like a bunch of different ways. I feel like. I, w- I wish I had known, obviously, I wish I'd started earlier. Yeah, obviously, you know, that starting later what was something that just kind of happened. But I-, I wish I would have asked more questions, I guess, earlier on. I think when you start off and you're in a band and you're kind of like, you know, you're the front man, there's a little bit of like cockiness that comes with that. And I think you need that, obviously, to get up in front of people. When since I'm kind of like an introvert, I was such an introvert even back then. But like, um, 
you need a little bit of that to kind of get in front of people to do what you're going to do. But like, so, so, so there's part of me that's like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I just wrote this. It's amazing. You know, uh, I think early on, I wish it would have been more open to constructive criticism. Mm. That's a good thing. To, that's a good thing to, to I think, to interject. Um, because, you know, even though it's your art and, and there's a fine line there. So it's like you, you, if someone brings in a song, it's like a child. So it's like, I can't just sit there and just rip apart what they did and piece it back together the way I think. I have to like maintain this idea and the core principles of what they're trying to deliver. And so when I was getting this constructive criticism instantly, I thought like, no way, this is my art. This is my baby. I'm not touching it. And I didn't realize that like I could shape this and even develop new techniques to make my art better. Mm -hmm. And it took me a little bit to get to that point. But um, I feel like I'm definitely open to any ideas. Like that's one thing too, I'll explain it. It's like, I don't care if I'm in a big studio and the guy making coffee has the best idea for the song. We're taking that idea. <laughs> you know, it's like, so it, it, it's more open-minded. And I think the more that I became open-minded, the more infectious it can be with everyone else in the room and setting that example to be, um, creative and just open to and trying any idea because you just never know what's going to happen. You might have this set idea that you love, but then you hear something else and you're like, oh man, I didn't know it until I heard that. That's mm -hmm. really good. You know, I love that, you know? So I think that, that that's a biggie for sure. Yeah. That's a really great lesson. There's an ego element there where like I live by the by the belief that your ego is always trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like an airbag for your emotions. And so when that criticism hits you, your ego inflates and bounces it off. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that all criticism is an attack where like, if I give you, if I gave somebody a piece of feedback, I'm not necessarily like, attacking you personally. I'm not telling you you're a bad person and you suck at your job. You know, it's, it's like much less of that and much more of, um, like you said, like there's a different way to do it. You know, let's, what if we tried it a different way? Yeah. I, I work a lot with people on, um, minimizing their fear-based ego responses. Cause I think that holds a lot of people back. So that's really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. And I think that's like, you think about like how, like with the, the ridiculous arguments people get into on, on Facebook or whatever, it's like, you know, everybody's quick to criticize, but not everybody's there to offer a solution or a alternative method. Yeah. And I think if you come with the criticism with an alternative solution and or a different method, it's, it's way easier to, for the person being criticized to listen and be open to it, mm -hmm. you know, or explaining why you don't feel like it's like, okay, this part of the song is really speaking to me. And then I feel like when we get to this point, I'm not feeling it as much. So, so what if we tried this, mm -hmm. you know, rather than just saying, yeah, that, that part's not working. Mm -hmm. You know, that can be pretty cold, especially yeah. to someone who's working on something. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta communicate it in a way and offer a, 
offer a solution or at least like start the conversation about the solution. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like that. When we were doing feedback for students at Dime, we used we all used this method called start, stop, continue. So the way that we would offer feedback would be, you know, here's an idea. What if you started doing this instead, started moving around the stage differently, you know, something that you can add in and then stop doing something that's distracting or, you know, um, you know, like a part of the song that's not working. And then you end it. It's like the compliment sandwich. You end it on a high note. Uh, this one thing that you were doing was really great. So continue doing that. And that always pops into my mind when, you know, people ask me for feedback is mention something that would make it better, mention something that needs to be taken out, and then highlight the things that are going well and, um, you know, bring people up at, at the end. And yeah, that's, that's seem, perfect. That's great. They seem to like I love that. that. Shout yeah. out to Drew Schultz for that because he is um, a really great teacher and he gives really great feedback. If you don't know Drew, I'll have to introduce you. Oh, that would be awesome. And that's, that's such a great point. Even and that translates totally into the song making process. Like if I'm listening to something and something is really hidden in the background, but it's a beautiful, amazing thing. It's like, let's highlight that. You, mm-hmm. you made this part. I want to hear more of that. What can we do to make that more? And, and, and it's because you're taking what they already created and you're, you're, you're making it blossom instead of just changing it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, that, that's, that's, that what, that's what has to happen in my opinion, but I love that. I love that. Uh, start, that that's amazing. That's perfect. Yeah. Start, stop, I'm, continue. It's a, it's a good, it, it, it's really helped my relationships with people when giving feedback. So I didn't really know how to do it before, you know, it's really more of like a, is it good or is it not good? And it didn't have like a structure to how mm-hmm. I would give any feedback. So I didn't really feel comfortable doing it. I would just tell everybody that I liked everything, even if I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily. I, I know. I know. I'm totally the same way. <laughs> I didn't want to be that way. I never wanted to be that way because I don't want, you know, I want people to be their do their best and be their best. And uh, it's like, how could I help people without bringing them down? Cause I don't ever want to bring anybody down, but yeah, yeah. that, yeah. I'm really grateful Drew taught me that. Um, so switching gears a little bit, just uh, I'm super curious. You mentioned earlier that you are in year 16 of running your own recording studio. And that is impressive. That is impressive entrepreneurial longevity. So I would love to talk a little bit about what you've learned about running your own business in that time. And oh, I know that's man. a really broad question. I can no, that's that great for you. But yeah, if you have a good starting point, you know, like how's it been? How's business been? <laughs> it's it's been amazing, and I think that uh, yeah, I can. Uh, I've learned everything. I, I mean, in those sixteen years, you know, I had no idea how to do um, any of it, like marketing. And, and or any of this stuff. So I made a decision early on and said, I'm only going to put my name on stuff that, I, or, or work with people that I really believe in the music and the people. And I mean, I'm, so I'm going to, I'm going to have to start slow. I was only working two days a week, three days a week at, at the beginning. 
but I didn't want to just take every gig. I wanted to make sure that it was a good fit for me personally to where when it put, says Andy Reid on that record, I'm proud of it as the artist. And I know it's still their record, but, and it's, it's of course that they're, it's their art and, and I'm always going to have it be the way they want it. But I just, like I said, I wanted to, to represent um, what I was going for. So I made that decision early on and I didn't realize that um, I guess maybe I did uh, like kind of subliminally, but like people aren't coming to record here because it's a recording studio they're coming here because they're, they're buying me and not the studio, you know? Yeah. And it, it took a few years for me to realize that it's like they can, if they just want someone to push buttons and record their songs, there's a million places they could go. But when someone calls here, they kind of know that, that um, they want me specifically to be doing the, the job. So um, once I realized that I kind of, I took, I, t- I take a lot of pride in it to begin with, but I, I, I realized that it's like, I have a lot of work to do, you know, like to, if, if people are going to continue to give me their hard earned money for a long period of time, I have a long way to go. I have to make sure that their second record is a step up from their first record and so on and so forth. So like I said, I almost became more of a student on year eight than I did when I was on year one. You know what I mean? I was just basically just trying to stay afloat and just figure it out. And then I'm just like getting that, once you get to a certain point, just getting 1% better is a lot harder than it is from day one, but it's like, I want to get 1% better each day. So that that's something that, that I've learned over time. As far as the business side, when you're in music, your, your work is your business cards, your, your business cards. So it's like when people make a record, it's like, that's going to be way more of a way to get more gigs than, you know, putting my, an ad out on on uh buying a facebook ad or whatever you know yeah. for, for, for what for what i do so it's very important that i take special care to each and every project because the, those are all things that go out into the world that might attract more business and that's even cool because it's like if i love like amy petty darkness of birds and someone comes to me and says hey i really love that record I, i'm a singer songwriter then they know that I have that set of tools already, you know, so it's a good fit. So, um, so that's, that, that's, it's, it, it's a weird, it's a weird career path in that regard, but yeah, everything that you release is, is, is part of who you are and is part of your reputation. So it's very, very crucial that you, you bring it every day, you know? Um, so there's a little bit of pressure there, but when you you do it over time your confidence increases and I, i'm i always suffer from imposter syndrome like i still have a hard time when at the end of the day when people say how much do i owe you and i'm like oh yeah i forgot i gotta take money from you because i would totally do this anyway if i didn't have bills to pay right. <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> but um so so i think that it's uh just growing into that position of knowing where my strengths are where my weaknesses are so even sometimes if someone calls and they they want a specific type of record 
and I know I'm not the guy, I have to like say no, but I- I'm going to help you find the right person to do this. You know, um, totally. I have to do a lot of that. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's fair for the artists and maybe down the road, they will hear a band or an artist. They say, you know, we recorded here, but this Andy guy, he, he, he does that stuff really well. Maybe you should call him, you know? Yeah. And so it's just, it's just keeping that, keeping that reputation positive and encouraging. And even if it's not something I'm a part of, I really want to make sure that the, the, the client or artist is getting what they want, whether I'm the person to do it or not. So, um, yeah. And and when you're, when you're young, you never think about that. You just want to take every gig you can get because you're trying to make a living. So, so those are, those are all lessons that, that I feel come over time. And, and, uh, as far as money and that side of things, it's, it's been nice to work from home. So I don't have that overhead. Mm-hmm. of having a business. So I've been able to really reinvest in equipment. I'm a huge gear head. I'm a huge recording nerd and I love all the techie stuff. So I've been able to buy some cool microphones and preamps and stuff like that. And they all come with different stories. When I'm setting up a microphone, I'll be like, okay, this is what McCartney used on, on let it be, you know, this cool. is the kind of mic. And I think people like those little stories too. Yeah, it inspires them. It's like, well, McCartney sang through something like this. It's like yeah. this is awesome. So I like doing that kind of stuff too because um, it's super nerdy and whatever you can do to kind of inspire the session or inspire the person performing is is a good thing. So yeah, um, I I try to be a little better with my money now that that I had. You know, when you're you're always wanting the next piece of equipment that's going to make my job better. It's going to make my, you know, and it's not, that's not necessarily the case, especially today because the tools are so amazing. Like when you can get started with a pro tools rig and an interface for under 500 bucks and it'll sound really good, you know? Um, So everybody has the same access to the same tools. So you have to figure out a way to make yourself stand out somehow, I believe. I love that. And that brings us back full circle to that, you know, the early 2000s when it wasn't, we didn't all have access to the same tools and it wasn't right. so easy. And the people who were actually getting signed even to small local labels, but the people who were able to get those, those advances, they, they were the ones with the advantage. Right and now we have to kind of create our own advantage. And uh, what do you think, what are some tips for the listeners that can help bring out that creativity? Um, I think putting yourself in the position of the fan. Like, it's funny. I, I um, later in their career, I, I joined the band called the Verve Pipe. And uh, yeah. I was a huge fan the, the, their whole career and then I joined like in 2009 or 2010 and I was able to be like you know what I wish I would see if I was in the crowd and I brought that perspective That's and cool. we tried a bunch of different things like Brian okay you come out you start colorful by yourself as the encore and then we'll walk out a minute later and then we'll get us you know it's like I, I wish I would have seen you do that 
So put yourself in the shoes of a listener, be a music fan, you know, be a fan of your own music. Of course you need to do that first, but like, what do you want to see? What do you wish you got from your favorite artists? You know, like mm-hmm. a custom thank you after buying a vinyl LP t-shirt package or like, or like send them a, what's your favorite Beatles song? I'll send you a little clip of that. Just what do you wish you would get from your favorite bands? And then do that for your fans. I think that that would be a good way to start. That's amazing advice. As a music fan, like that really speaks to me. Um, Thank you for bringing that up. Oh, my pleasure. No, I think of it all the time. I was just like, I mean, I wish they would do this. I wish they would do this. And that's why I said earlier, it's like, I love that that gap is narrowed between the fan and the music. Because we're, you know, we're connecting on so many more levels than just buying an LP and then just going to pay 50 bucks to see them live. You know, there's Patreon now. So you're able to get really closer, listen to comments, let let fans choose your set list. If you're going to play a live, private live set for your, for your close fans, it's like, I want that. I want to do that for my favorite artists. I will pay money to do that. And I want to do that. I want to support them. And I want to be involved in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, that's the beauty of today. It's like, it's possible. All of that is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Vander Ark is one of the musicians that actually writes me back on Instagram. And I've always yeah. thought that was really cool. And uh, yeah, that guy, we started a solo record too, which is, oh, yeah? it's, it's, it's going really well. Nice. Yeah. We talk. yeah, it's, it, it, it's, you know, it's just he and I, you know, he's, no no band we're just kind of going at it like like a a normal solo act and uh we've got a couple songs in and it's it's gonna be awesome and it's great to work with him again too because i left in 2014 and you know when my daughter was born i just didn't want to be on the road anymore but um and with donnie and i he lives closer we've been good friends so we've obviously kept working and doing stuff together but brian lives in grand rapids so one of the things I always missed was like just working with Brian because I love songs and music. So it's like, let's make a solo record, dude. And he's like, let's do it. You know, so it, it's it's great. It's nice. it's fun to work with him again. And and uh, I'm thankful that he's putting that faith in me, too, because, you know, he could record anywhere as well and work with oh, yeah. he's worked with people that have, you know, Bill Simzik, who produced Hotel California. It's like now you're working with Andy Reid. Okay, you're really picking the bottom of the barrel there, buddy, but uh, yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we all, we're all just doing the best we can, right? <laughs> 100%. Yes, yes. Um, but but we're having a good time and that's what's important too, so. Have you ever recorded a song or even written a song or been involved with the songwriting of a song where you heard it and you were like, this is a hit, like this is an absolute smash and then either it became a huge hit and you were like, I was right. Or it didn't. And you were like, why? You know, I feel yeah. like that would be the hardest part of recording is like hearing all those hits and not, and then like wondering what happened next, you know? Well, that's the hard part too, with working with a lot of independent artists, because there's so much stuff I've recorded that deserves millions of listeners, in my opinion. And I'm not just saying that. I'm saying that as a fan of the music. If I didn't record it, I would still feel the same way. 
you know, that kind of thing. Um, I worked with this guy, um, Brandon Calhoun. He's, he's from the Detroit area, but he's also, he's originally from Beaverton, which is not too far from here. And we have a mutual friend, Jeff Hupp, got us together because he, he, he did a lot of licensing through North Star Media. Yeah. And um, so he's like, get together with Andy. He's an old rock and roll guy. Let's work on some stuff. And Brandon had this song called That's What I'm Talking About. And he brought in the demo and it had kind of this Black Keys riff. And I thought of like, like what's the Gary Glitter song? The da-na-na-na-na-na, hey, da-na-na-na, that they play at all the sports anthems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's got that doom, boom, bop, boom, boom. It's got that driving beat. I'm like, okay, let's put that kind of beat in there and make it like a sports anthem. And then he put the lyrics together and we got done. It's like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like the most, like easily the, the most marketable thing we either of us have ever done. And it got placed in like, you know, seven different spots and on, on NBC. And then, nice. you know, it led to him getting the theme song for a, a television show called uh, Battle Creek. Oh, cool. And uh, um, so it's like, we knew after that one, we were both chuckling, like, like it's like, yeah, but also in the same token, it's like we were going for that and it was fun. Yeah. And that's what the song really needed. So regardless of whether it was going to get placed anywhere, we still went down the path that we wanted to go through musically. But when we get done, you just laugh and it's like, it's, this is so ridiculously singable. Yeah. It's, it's, it's rocking the riffs hooky. It's got a sing along part. It's got, it's got, it checks all the boxes, you know? Yeah. And uh, sure enough, it, it like got picked up in like the Chevy and the D thing oh, five cool. years in a row and stuff. It was, it was, it was a blast to see. We got a lot of mileage out of that one, but definitely that one was, was one that we were all kind of, grinning at and um then when it gets picked up again we're just like yep there it is again it got picked yeah. up again for another license and and uh but there are also a lot of songs that um i will get in that i just know are amazing tunes and 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 i i understand the odds are against a lot of independent artists that it will get heard by a ton of people and and but I just, when, when the song's done and it's a beautiful song and it's great and we recorded it the right way, as long as they're smiling and happy, it's like, that's, that's, that's the main goal, you know, whether, whether they sell it or they don't, you know, so, um, so, but there's definitely a lot more where you wish they were hits in their amazing songs and amazing singers and they deserve the world and, and you just kind of like, you root for them and do everything you can with the resources we have. So, uh, and, and, but it, it's, it's been good in that regard. I work with a lot of ridiculous, you know, 16 years doesn't happen unless you work with really freaking talented people, you know, otherwise it's just a room downstairs in my house, <laughs> unless there's people to come with songs, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's the studio itself is built by those people, you know? I love that. Yeah, I love that. I could probably talk to you about all this stuff all day. I I, I know. Can you come back sometime and can we talk about <laughs> gear? Because I really, I'm yeah. super curious about, I'm a, I'm a kind of a technophobe, um, not okay. techno the music. I like techno the music, but I just <laughs> like um, break things when I touch them. So I try, <laughs> like I, I ran sound for 
this one one gig one time and it didn't work and I had to call my husband and he had to come in like like drive to where I was and help me figure it out and the band went on late and it was that was like the one time where I was like okay this isn't for me you know it's like that troubleshooting Mm -hmm. part of it where if it doesn't work perfectly then like what do you do next I don't know what to do next so I would love like a deep lesson on how it all works sometime like maybe we could get like a studio tour I could come visit you well just come in yeah come yeah anytime you want to come up and just be a fly on the wall any day oh that would be so cool yeah it's 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 a lot of fun and everybody I work with is super cool with stuff like that too I have a lot of uh interns and kids doing their high school co-ops and stuff at the studio so it's it's always uh it's always a good environment for anyone to be in so anytime that's cool so actually let's um tell the listeners how they can find you how they can hire you and where you're located because i don't think we talked about that okay yeah so read Reed Recording Company is the name that I, I've named for the studio. And like I said, the studio's in my house, but it's basically a production studio at this point. It's not really like a recording studio studio, but um, uh, www.readrecordingcompany.com, R-E-E-D is how my last name is spelled. And that has everything on there, my email address, my phone number, um, links to my credits, artist testimonials, uh, interviews and and all kinds of stuff so you can kind of get a pretty good idea of where I'm coming from if if you're interested you know it's like where my background is where I'm strong in musically and stuff like that um and then I I live in Bay City Michigan which is um in um the crack of the thumb right on the Saginaw Bay about you know 45 miles north of Flint's you know around that that area so um, mid Michigan is what it's called. I know Lansing's considered mid Michigan tube. So I don't know, that's an hour and a half away, but, yeah. uh, yeah. So just, just North of Detroit, you know, not too far North of Detroit. And, uh, I'm definitely open to talk to anybody about anything, you know, uh, as far as like recording, if they have questions about, you know, equipment, microphones, or if they're getting into recording and they don't have anybody to talk to about it, um, I love, 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 love talking to people about the process and how I do things. Because that's the beauty of this gig is that like, there are so many people really, really good at it and they all do it differently, you know, and, and it's, you can learn so much. Like I, I, I talk to people that I just admire so much and, and, and if I can get one or two things in my toolbox from them and, and put it in mine, it's just, it's such a gift. So I love doing that as much as I can. That's great. I'm sure a lot of people will hit you up for that. Yeah, anytime, anytime. And, and if you want to just email me, uh, readrecordingco at gmail. And also that's listed on my website. Yeah, and I'll link in the show notes too. Okay. So cool. Is there, oh, you know what, before, before I ask you if there's anything else that we didn't mention, that's going to be my next question. Okay. What have you been listening to lately? Lately? Ooh, that uh, Lord Huron record. Oh yeah. I absolutely love, you know, those guys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Origi- originally from Michigan and I, I you know, I, I, I didn't really know of them. 
Um, but man, it sounds like it was made in 1967 and it's like the songs are amazing. And I love records that, that sound timeless to me, you know, and that, that aren't dated. Uh, sadly, I've been listening to a ton of Foo Fighters the last three, four days because of the passing of Taylor Hawkins. Um, not sadly, but I mean, I just, it just, it's just, uh, it is sad. It's, uh, it's yeah. Sad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've always been a fan of those guys anyway, so um, it's not out of my character to listen to those guys a lot. Um, and and um, trying to think of what else has come out this year. I'm a huge Brandy Carlisle fan. I love, I love female singer-songwriters. That's kind of my thing. Like Katie, Katie Pruitt, uh, do oh. you know her? Oh, man. She released a record two years ago called Expectations. It's like... It's like a long lost Brandy Carlisle record. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, check that one out. I love that one. Nice. Rose Cousins is a Canadian nice. singer songwriter I love. Um, just there's, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, man, you, you know, we talk about that exploration of buying CD or going to get CDs at the library. Yeah. It's like now, now it's like right there. I love that discovery of, of just, if anybody posts anything on Facebook about something they like, I'm like instantly listening to it to see what it's like. So always looking for new bands and new artists to, to um, get inspired from, you know, because it's like, there's it's so much great music being made and um, it's, it's really a great time in music. I think too, because like you said, everybody has access to these tools and can make music. So it's just a little harder to find them because there's so much of it. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but thankfully it's being made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really like, I rely pretty heavily on Sirius XM to introduce me to new artists. I feel like that is like Sirius, the, the programmers and the DJs on Sirius are, I, I hate to use the word gatekeepers, but they're my mm -hmm. favorite filter. Okay. Because the, they, play music that's highly repeatable you know like Sirius has a very set program and so you're going to hear the same songs over and over again but it's always new so I love that coffee house channel and I'll, I discover a lot of singer songwriters on there and um and then I was going to ask you what channels <laughs> yeah so I I'll have to send you a list maybe I'll uh, take a picture and, and please do please do or something but yeah I'm I like I really like Sirius XM as, as like a gatekeeper, but have you heard of the band Joseph? Yes. I yep. saw them at the ARC the other day. You were talking yeah, yeah, about I'm sure. female singer songwriters with mm -hmm. harmonies. Um, so for the listeners who might not have heard of them, they are three sisters and one of them is older and then there's twins and mm -hmm. they have the most gorgeous harmonies I've ever heard in my life. And that's really saying something. But they are doing this um, basically acoustic acapella trio tour right now. And I took my 10-year-old. And um, the things that those girls can do with their voices, I mean, they're women really, but the things that those women yeah. can do with their voices, it just absolutely blew my mind. Yeah. And I, I just, it made me fall back in love with them and, you know, what, what women yeah. can do. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I haven't listened to anything. I remember listening to a record a couple of years ago. I'll have to 
go um, and, and check that out too. Um, the Lone Bellow is another band that oh, yeah. does a trio acoustic tour with stupid harmonies and stuff like that too. It's like there's, and great, you know, and it comes down to great songs too. I mean, all, all these acts that we're talking about with all their abilities and stuff, they write really great songs, yeah. you know, and that's like, we, we kind of need that first, you know, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that it's, it's such a beautiful time in, in music and, and uh, the arc has got to be one of the best places to go see a performer too. Oh gosh. Yeah. It sounds yeah. good in there. Yep. Yeah. It was my favorite, one of my favorite places to play whenever we'd have a show there. That was another thing too. Like we were at Verpipe was playing the arc and cool. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if we like opened with veneer and just like, it was just the organ. And then we just slowly leaked into our show and we did that. And everybody in the crowd's like, you know, just like, <laughs> so like I said, bringing that, bringing that fan element to whatever you're doing is is i think i think a good way to start you know because you know we're we're all all of us no matter what we're doing in music got into this because we're fans so 100%. you got to keep that you got to you got to keep that first and foremost i think in everything you do otherwise you're going to lose perspective and you're just going to be doing it for the paycheck and then then things become insincere and you can you know you can tell that people are just trying to monetize it and and it's like like i said you can do that if you want to but if, if you want a sustainable career i think just reacting from from a, your gut and as as a fan is always gonna it's always gonna serve you well awesome andy thank you so much this thank you stuff i appreciate it. yeah it's been a blast and i hope you get a vacation soon because you deserve it <laughs> thank you fingers crossed <laughs> yeah alright here is Hanging by a Thread by Andy Reid this time it's real as I am making up truth the lies and falsehoods
What Songs Mean Business is a production of Steph Belcher Business Management, LLC. This episode was hosted by Stephanie Belcher and Olivia DeRoche, edited by Stephanie Belcher and produced by When Songs Mean Business. Please make sure to join us in our Facebook group, When Songs Mean Business, and follow us on Instagram at When Songs Mean Business. As always, thank you to The Dropout for the break music, and thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a wonderful day.